0: Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation was at my heart be always acceptable in your sight, I my rock and my refuge. Amen. All right, so I asked the children to think about a time when they lost something precious. And uh, for me, there's one time that's firmly stuck in my memory. Um, I was in my mid-teens, and my parents had recently opened a bank account in my name, but there was hardly anything at all in it, because I didn't have a job yet. So pretty much the only money I ever got came from gifts at Christmas or on my birthday. And for my birthday that year, I was given the princely sum of £40. And I think that was the most money I had ever had at one time. Now, in real terms, £40 wasn't very much money. It was about what a family of four might spend going out for dinner. Um, But to me, as a teenager who didn't have a job, it felt like a fortune. So one day, soon after my birthday, it was a school day, and I was carrying my 40 pounds around me in cash, in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after school on the way home, I stopped to make a phone call to my parents. Uh, and this was about a decade before I got a cell phone. So um, I started a payphone phone at a train station. And uh, because I was a typical absent-minded teenage boy, after I finished the phone call, I left my wallet in the phone booth, Um, and it wasn't until I got all the way home that I realized my mistake. So then I had to wait anxiously for my dad to get home in the car so that he could drive me back to the train station, and I leapt out of the car and I ran to the phone booth where I made the call, and I found my wallet still there. Completely empty. Got <laughs> it. Someone had found it and helped themselves to my bank card, my library card, a couple of passport photos, a wallet of receipts, some loose change, and of course my £40. Pounds. They emptied my wallet. They took absolutely everything out of it and left the wallet there in the phone booth so I'd know that my stuff was gone. Uh, so I knew for sure that I was never going to see that £40 pounds again. Now, I've lost some things before, and I've lost plenty of things since. And much more important things. But for some reason, the memory of losing that £40 pounds has stuck with me. I didn't care much about my library card or my bank card. They were easily cancelled and replaced. But the £40 pounds was mine. And it was gone. And I was sick of that. I was sick in my heart, and losing that 40 pounds cast a shadow over my whole day. I don't think I said a word on the whole journey back home again. It was hard for me to think about anything else. And it was hard for me to care about or enjoy anything else. And my dad saw how depressed I was. And you must have figured that I'd learned my lesson about being responsible because later on that evening, he took out his own boy and he gave me another 40 pounds. Ah, man. And that was far from the biggest sacrifice that my dad ever made for me. But I remember it as one of the kindest things that he ever did. Because he gave me back the thing that had been lost. So, this morning we're in Luke chapter 15, and if you find the Pew Bibles, you can look that up, Luke chapter 15. And Jesus tells uh, three parables about losing things. There's a shepherd who loses a sheep, and a woman who loses a coin, and a father who loses a son. Now, the circumstances are different in each parable. Um, But the feeling is the same each time. It's the same feeling that I had when I lost my 40 pounds. And the same feeling I know you've had when you lost something that was important to you. Whether that thing was a helium balloon on your 5th birthday or a spouse on your 50th. The feeling is the same and no grief is trivial. The seriousness of the loss is different in all three of the parables Jesus tells. It's much worse to lose one coin out of ten than to lose one sheep out of a hundred. And how much worse still to lose a son out of two. But the central character in each parable experiences the same feeling. Heart sickness over losing that thing and a preoccupation with finding it again. And when it's found... There's so much joy that you want to throw a big party. And the astonishing thing that Jesus says in all three of these parables is that God knows all about that feeling. That God feels that way too. So did you know that the God who made all things has lost something? That God who created galaxies and butterflies out of nothing and who is completely perfect and sufficient in himself and has angels worshipping him day and night, experiences the pain of losing something precious. And that something is you. It's beyond wonder, but that is what Jesus says here. It's what all three of the parables need. So first there's a shepherd who loses a sheep. We're in the beginning of Luke chapter 15. Jesus told all three parables to a group of Pharisees and scribes. And they grumble at the beginning of chapter 15 and say, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Those leaders were offended by Jesus. By his lack of social boundaries and by his choice to waste time with worthless people. But Jesus wanted them to see things differently to see things from his perspective and that's why he told these three (coughs) parables. so here's the first one say you have a hundred sheep and you lose one don't you drop everything and go looking for that one well yes maybe maybe you would if you were a particularly attentive shepherd who would even notice losing one sheep out of a hundred and maybe if you had unusual care for your sheep as individual sheep and not just a big mass of wool. And maybe if you were powerfully motivated by that kind of heart sickness that comes with losing something, so that the care of the other 99 would disappear into insignificance against the urgency of finding the one. Hmm. Maybe, if you were a very strange and unusual kind of shepherd, you might go looking for the lost one. And I think it's really hard for us to say whether or not this could have been true of any shepherd at the time, any actual shepherd. Jesus seems to say that it might be true. He says of the Pharisees, What man of you wouldn't behave this way? <laughs> so perhaps shepherds would have behaved that way. It seems strange and unusual. So maybe, on the one hand, he's challenging the hard heartedness of the Pharisees by comparison to the big heartedness of common shepherds. That they could actually see. Or maybe what he's doing is he's lifting their gaze higher. To a higher standard of the way things could be. To the way things are with God. Because this is the way that God behaves. What matters most to God is that the lost one should be found. And Jesus says very profoundly, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Think about that. Think about what he's saying there. More joy. More joy in heaven over the one. There's more joy over bringing one home than over 99 who are already in the fold. So perhaps in this room today, there are 99 people who are already in the sheepfold, already members of the household of God and safely at home in God's house. Now, I'm not saying we're righteous in the strict sense of being perfectly good. And we can't say that we no longer need any repentance because we do every day. But we are among the 99 who are home in the sheepfold of God. And perhaps at the same time here this morning, there's one of you who isn't home yet. One of you who's still lost. And I think what Jesus really says is that the 99 who come here to sing God's praises with glad hearts and to pray and to hear God's word and to share bread at God's table do bring God joy. That bring brings God great joy. But if the one who came here lost today is found, if the one repents yeah. and has faith and comes to God this morning, then that one yeah. will bring God more joy than the 99 put together. Tonight there will be a party in heaven. And that's an amazing and astonishing thing for Jesus to say. That's how much it means to God that the lost are found. And that's what kind of priority God puts on. So the Son of God comes to earth and where do you find him hanging out? You find him dining with the tax collectors and sinners. He's out there seeking the lost. Not because they're good, but because they're bad. Not because they're healthy, but because they're sick. And, not beca- and because they're not hopeless, as the Pharisees seem to think. They're not a waste of time. They can be found. So Jesus tells the Pharisees, If you really knew God, this is where you'd expect me to be. And this is where I'd hope you would be, too. (coughs) But Jesus isn't done. There's a second parable, the parable of the lost coin. And uh, it's very similar to the parable of the lost sheep. So So somebody loses something, and then they find it, um, and they (laughs) throw a huge party with the joy of finding it. And the two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, are very clearly a pair. They match in structure, they match in language, they both conclude on the same note of joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. But they're not identical. The second parable adds to what the first one teaches in three important ways. First, it's a different situation of loss and it's one that's particularly important for women. Second, there's more emphasis on the costliness of the search. And third, the item lost is markedly more precious in the second parable than in the first. So in this second situation, a woman is in her home when she loses one of ten coins. And Bible scholars agree that all the details in this situation suggest that the ten coins were that woman's dowry. So when she got married, her father gave her those 10 coins. They became her property, a parting gift from her family. And so they symbolized for her, her good relationship with her parents. And they also symbolized her marriage, a bit like a wedding ring does for us. And there's some evidence that women at the time might have worn their dowry coins about their person every day, maybe as part of a headdress or a necklace, that they wore them to to display uh, the symbol of their marriage. And if the woman had done this, it could explain how one coin fell off and got lost. So the coins had deep personal value to that woman, as well as their obvious intrinsic value. If her marriage dissolved, those coins would still belong to her, they would still be hers. She would take them with her and they would provide at least a little bit of security for her after her marriage fell apart. Now ten coins is a pretty meager kind of dowry. Each silver coin was worth about a day's wages for a labourer. So the whole dowry is worth less than a thousand bucks of our money. Her family was obviously poor. But if you think that those ten coins might have been the woman's only real property in the world, and that she might not have possessed any skills that could have earned her any more, you realise how valuable they must have been And what a big deal it would have been to lose one of them. So she lights a lamp to search for the one that was lost. And we know from looking at first century houses in archaeology that they had small windows, if any windows at all. So you need a lamp, even in the middle of the day, to see really anything inside. So you light an oil lamp, and oil was expensive. The poor would only have lit their lamps, Uh, If they absolutely needed to. So what we see is that this counted as a real emergency for this woman. The search was costly. When she found the coin, she threw a party, just like the shepherd did when he found his lost sheep. And just like him, she invites all her friends and neighbours. So we see the same words cropping up that we saw in verse 5. Only in the second parable, those words for friends and neighbours are in the feminine in the Greek. So she invites all her female friends and neighbors to share her joy because losing and finding this particular kind of coin had enormous significance for all the women in her neighborhood. So notice in these first two parables how closely Jesus is able to identify with poor people, with ordinary laborers, and with both men and women, with the concerns that are close to the heart of the poor. He cares about their particular kinds of grief, however small they might be in the grand scheme of things. And he uses the lives of these people to illustrate the heart of God. He says that tiny, invisible people like this have something in common with Almighty God, something that they and God share, some common ground. Because these people know the grief of losing something precious and the joy of getting it back. And so does God. And the heart of God is close to people like these. There's a third parable in the set, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And once again, it's like the other two. It follows the pattern of losing and finding and celebrating. But this time, the story is much longer, fuller, richer, and more complex. Next week, Taylor's going to spend his whole sermon just on this one parable but today I just want to look at it briefly in light of what we've already seen in the lost sheep and the lost coin in the third parable of the prodigal son the person doing the losing and finding isn't poor he's rich he has property and servants and the thing he loses is altogether more precious than either a sheep or a dowry coin He loses his own son, one of only two. So those are some small differences, but here are the uh, three aspects of the third parable that really set it apart from the first two. The third parable of the prodigal son talks about offense. It talks about repentance, and it talks about life after death. So first it talks about offense. That's a note that's missing from the first two parables. Neither the sheep nor the coin meant to get lost, but the son did. He left his father deliberately. His actions in leaving his father are enormously offensive. First, he asked for his inheritance early, which was in effect to say to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. Then he liquidated his father's hard-earned assets of land and livestock so that he could collect the cash. And then when he had the cash in hand, he fled to a far country. So he turned up his nose at his father's relatives, his countrymen, his culture, and even his father's God. Hmm. This behavior was socially outrageous, and it was completely illegal under Jewish law. Jewish wisdom would have said that the father should disinherit his son just for asking this question. So it says in the wisdom of Ben Sira from the 2nd century BC, To a son or wife, to brother or friend, do not give power over yourself as long as you live. And do not give your property to another in case you change your mind and must ask for it. While you're still alive and have breath in you, do not let anyone take your place. For it is better that your children should ask from you than that you should ask from your children. Excel in all that you do. Bring no stain upon your honor. At the time when you end the days of your life, in the hour of your death, then distribute your inheritance. But instead, against wisdom and against law, the father did what the son asked and let him go. So what he had to do is watch his life's work be dismantled and sold and taken away to be squandered. He let his son wrong him. Hmm. And he bore the offense. Hmm. Second, the parable talks about repentance. So the lost sheep didn't need to repent. And neither did the lost coin. But in both those parables, Jesus talked at the end about a sinner who repents. And now here in the third parable, Jesus shows us what that repentance looks like. The fact that the son repented is absolutely vital to the story. He didn't just go home. He didn't just change his mind and change his direction. He also had a change of heart. So if you have Luke 15 open, look at verse 18. Here's what the son plans to say to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's real repentance. It says, I was wrong. That path I chose was the wrong one. I've come back from it and I'm not going down it again. By choosing that way, I offended you. And my offense was serious. So serious that I don't have any right to your forgiveness. If you're wondering what Jesus means by a sinner who repents, that's what he means. Right there. And so third, this parable talks about life after death. So in the first parable, the shepherd said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And in the second parable, the woman says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And the third parable, the father said, Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the father adds this idea. Of life after death. The path that the prodigal son chose for himself was very clearly the way of death. It led him away from the safety of his family and his community, away from God and towards everything God's law hates, even as far as working on a pig farm and it brought him to destitution and near starvation. It was the way of When he comes home again, he regains everything precious. New clothes, good food, a ring that showed his place in the family, and most important of all, his father's love. He finds life again. Jesus makes it clear that the father keeps no record of the wrong his son did to him. He receives his son back with no hint of caution or reluctance or skepticism. Instead, there's unrestrained exuberance in the father's undignified running, his kisses, and his lavish kindness. We see a kind of love that counts no costs and isn't in the tiniest bit self-protected. Mm. It's a love that looks down the road, waiting for the day the son returns, and a love that just can't wait to give the son his life back. The son made the right decision to go home. He left following some kind of call to personal freedom. He came back ready to serve as the lowest of slaves. But he found himself reinstated as a son in his father's house and celebrated. Coming home turned out to be the way of life. Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead and is alive again. Now in those words the Father speaks, there's an echo of the central message of Christianity, isn't there? My son was dead and is alive again. Those words are the reason the Father in the parable celebrates, but they're also the reason that our Father God is able to show us this kind of love and forgiveness. Because his son, Jesus, died on the cross and is alive again. The Christian message is that the God who made you was so heartsick about losing you that he sent his son into the world to come and find you. Jesus is the shepherd who searched for his lost sheep and the woman who hunted for her lost corn. And the search was a costly one. In order to find you, Jesus had to go all the way to the cross to die. He had to die because we weren't innocent like the sheep or the coin. We were guilty like the prodigal son. Guilty of selfish, reckless living, self-destructive behavior, choosing the way of death, and offending our father in the worst possible ways. And in order that our father could run down the road to greet us with unguarded exuberance, some kind of reckoning had to be made for that guilt. Some kind of accounting. For the offense. And the reckoning was made by Jesus on the cross, his life for ours. Jesus paid the wages of the way of death that we had chosen so that we could have a place in the family that only he really deserved. And God the Father raised Jesus back to life on the third day in acceptance of his offering. Now he sees us coming from far away and runs down the road to meet us. With a kiss and a robe and a ring. And the reason? Because his son was dead and is alive again. So next week we'll spend some time with the older son in the parable. Some of us feel a lot more like him than the prodigal. And that might be the case. But today I want us to recognize that we've all behaved like the prodigal. To one degree or another. We're all enticed by that way of death that the prodigal chose. So outside there in our corridor, we have Proverbs 14, verse 12, in a frame on the wall. And it says, Before each and every person, there lies a wide and pleasant road that seems right, but ends in death. As the prodigal son set off from home with his pockets jangling with cash, what a wide and pleasant road lay before him. How right it seemed. What a good idea to leave, to be free, to be his own master. But how steadily and surely that road led him straight down to death. I don't know exactly what the road looks like for you, whether it's parties and prostitutes and wild living like the prodigal son, or wealth and security and respectable self-sufficiency, or power and social prominence, Or something else entirely. But I believe God's word that some sort of wide and pleasant road stretches out before you. Promising you great things. And enticing you away to death. Don't take it. If you haven't started down that road yet, then don't. Only death is found that way. Stay at home with your father. That's where life really is. Or perhaps you've already taken it and in that case it's time to turn around and come home. The promise of God to his lost children is life after death and there's no amount of death that can't be conquered by his life. You can't really be deader than the prodigal son unless you're actually physically dead You can't be more offensive than he was. You can't be more unclean than he was. You can't be more destitute than he was. And you can't have committed crimes any worse than his. So if he can be received back with joy, then so can you. So will you. If you truly repent, then anything can be forgiven. Anything. I'm going to stop there and give us a few moments of silence to respond to God in prayer. And uh, if you don't think you've come home to God yet, then I invite you to use this time to do so. You can do it right now. Repent and come home. If you need some words to pray, then I suggest that you use the words in verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 15. They're good words, do to good. If you decide that that's your prayer today, please tell someone here so that we can celebrate with you and pray for you. There are going to be prayer teams at the back during Communion and they will be good people to tell. And if you feel like you're already home with God, but you feel tempted to leave and go down some wide and pleasant road, then I invite you to use this prayer time to tell your Father that you're not